What's wrong with this picture? According to Vatican.va, there are 117 cardinal electors. 107 countries have only one cardinal, and 10 countries have more than one cardinal. Both Canada and Mexico have three, Poland and France have four each, India, Spain and Brazil have five each, Germany has six cardinals, and the United States has 11 cardinal electors. Italy has 28. Let me repeat that. Italy has 28. Actually, Italy has 49 cardinals, except that only 28 of them are under 80 years old. Now, I know that for many centuries the church was Italy, and there is much historic importance to many dioceses in Italy. But seriously, why are there so many Italian cardinals? Are there that many more Italian Catholics in the world? In fact, the country with most Catholics is Brazil with 145 million Catholics. They have five cardinal electors. This is followed by Mexico with 123 million Catholics. They have three cardinal electors. The Philippines has 69 million Catholics and they only have one cardinal elector. Italy only has 57 million Catholics. Granted, it is 96% of the population. But if you look at it by continent, there are by far more Catholics in Latin America than there are in Europe, with Brazil, Mexico, Colombia, Argentina, Peru, Venezuela, Ecuador, and Chile in the top 20 countries with most Catholics. This is compared to only Italy, France, Spain, Poland, and Germany in the top 20. I am not saying that the cardinals have to be representative of the population but it should represent the Catholic world to a certain degree, don't you think? Nothing against Italians. But why are there so many Italian cardinals? And the United States has 64 million Catholics. Why are there 11 cardinal electors in the United States? I mean, there are just as many cardinal electors in the US as there are in the whole of Africa. There are over 135 million Catholics in the whole of Africa. That's twice as many as there are in the United States. And Oceania only has one cardinal, an Australian one. They probably could use at least one more. And what about all the countries that do not have a cardinal? Like Panama. Who speaks for the Panamanian church? We are living historic times and possibly times of change. Maybe how cardinal hats are distributed could be something that could use a little updating. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Sorry about that rant, but I'm curious. What do you think about the fact that Italy has so many cardinals compared to the rest of the world? Let us know, radio at saltandlighttv.org, or share your comments with us on Facebook. This week, we are observing carefully what's happening in Rome, and so is the rest of the world. So today, Danny Torquia will join us to comment on the attention that the secular media is giving the church these days. That's going to be in about 20 minutes. And as always, Andrew Santos and Sheridan will be joining us for their segments. And Krista Matrenko will bring us papal transition news in about five minutes. In our second half hour, we're going to be speaking to my boss, Father Thomas Rosica. He's been sequestered to Rome to work as the English language assistant to the Vatican press secretary. He's going to tell us how all that is working out. And Danielle Rose returns as our featured artist. She has a new album, Culture of Life. So we begin with a song from that album, Just One Life. She gave him a child, but he said, I don't want you no more. He gave her a ride, left her right outside the clinic
looking down as the world passes by. Nobody sees the great river of tears that he That was Danielle Rose with Just One Life from her new album, Culture of Life. And we're going to be speaking with Danielle in the second half of the program. But now Chris is here with our news. Well, Pedro, for particularly the latter part of this past week, there's been a lot of noise, but maybe not so much news. On Wednesday, we saw the start of a media blackout. The Cardinals were concerned that too much information was being leaked from their preparatory meetings, so the Cardinals decided to stop talking to the press. Now, this is similar to a blackout that happened before the last conclave in 2005. Uh Now, journalists had been enjoying access to Cardinals through press conferences at the Holy See Press Office, and then there was also a separate press conference at the North American College, which is where American seminarians study, and there, U.S. Cardinals had been giving daily briefings to reporters. But on Wednesday, there was a last-minute cancellation for the briefing with uh, the Cardinals from New York City and Chicago. Now, this American approach to having their own briefing, Mm -hmm. it was said to be based on a more American style dealing with media, transparency. And uh, and they were very much appreciated because even international journalists were were coming to them. Um, And still, beyond the press briefings, virtually all of the prominent Cardinals, even those who are being named as possible candidates to become Pope have been speaking to the media, so we presume that this has now come to an end. Hmm. Uh, John Thavis, who uh, is an author of a book called The Vatican Diaries, and and he's the former Rome Bureau Chief of Catholic News Service, uh, he said that it's ironic and a bit sad that the Americans, who have been completely above board, are being shut down because someone else is leaking anonymously to the Italian press. Right. And the Italian press, what they're saying is that the cardinals have been deeply divided over the timing of the conclave and also how deeply to get into the situation involving corruption and this whole Vatican leaks affair. Um, As far as these general congregation meetings, these preparatory meetings have been going, 
Um, there have been uh, a time for the Cardinals to speak. They've been given a five-minute rule. And as of Wednesday, about 50 Cardinals had been participating in this. Right. Um, and at least one of the participation participants, a Nigerian Cardinal, was getting a little frustrated with all the speeches. He said that no matter how brilliant you may think your speech is, do we really need it? So these poor Cardinals are hearing a lot of talking. Right. Now, regardless of whether there's any disunity among the college, Wednesday did end with unity of prayer. There was a beautiful prayer service in St. Peter's Basilica. Mm -hmm. So it seems like there's now going to be a quiet period until the end of the conclave, unless the media simply fill the void with rumors and unsubstantiated reports. I think that which they probably probably will. will. Yes. So we'll be hearing as much information, maybe, but it just might not be true or as valuable. But if people don't want to hear rumors, they should listen to our saltandlighttv.org. Exactly. That's where the exactly. Yes. Well, as you know. The Cardinals take the confidentiality of the process very seriously. In fact, there's a rule saying that if they breach the secrecy of the conclave itself, the penalty is excommunication. And wow. you can get a sense of the seriousness by the preparations that they're doing for the Sistine Chapel where all the Cardinals are going to be meeting. Mm -hmm. They've installed jamming devices in the walls to create a shield preventing cell phone communication. They've also done other preparation work on the Sistine Chapel. They closed it on Tuesday. They've also s installed a false floor to level it out so that uh, uh, cardinals don't have any possibility of tripping and falling. Um, I don't know what happens if someone gets injured in the conclave. I guess they... I guess they have to I suppose come out. Yeah, I suppose <laughs> they, they would. Um, and also to pr protect the marble floors that are there. They've also installed the stove where the ballots are yeah. going to be burned. And uh, the Vatican this week showed off the urns where the cardinals will place their ballots. And they're the same ones made of silver and bronze that were used in the 2000 conclaves. Right. These are the little Good. details yeah. that we're learning about yes. the preparations for the conclave. Yeah, and all that stuff I think a lot of people find really interesting. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, so that's kind of neat. Thank you, Chris. Chris Dimitrenko, our news producer. If you'd like to comment on anything that you hear on this program, remember you can send us an email, radio at saltandlighttv.org, or reach us through Facebook. Coming up is Danny Torquia with Media Ministry Minutes, so stay tuned. Hi, I'm Julian Cantor, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. You're listening to the Salt and Light Hour, heard online on Salt and Light Radio at saltandlighttv.org slash radio, also on the Catholic channel, Sirius XM 129, and on the Spirit Catholic Radio Network in Nebraska and parts of Iowa and South Dakota. Coming up in a bit is an update from Bishop Gary Gordon of the Great White North. And now it's time for... Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. Andrew. Hi, Deacon. Andrew, so who's our saint this week? Saint Cyril of Jerusalem. Saint Cyril of Jerusalem. I bet you haven't heard that I one before. I have heard. Oh, I you have, have heard of him. He's oh, an early, early saint, isn't he? Yeah, that's right. Uh, going back to the... Uh, Going back to the, the 300s second, in the church. Oh, okay, third uh, century. Basically going back to the time of the... Um, of the the synod of Constantinople. Yeah, okay, um, so early, early church. Yeah, so, um, you know, we look at today, uh, Deacon Pedro, and we know that, you know, the church is facing a little bit of a, of a crisis. Um, you know, we've got the Pope resigned, we've got the media who's uh, really shining their spotlight on the Vatican, but really the crisis that the church faces today may seem minor when compared with the threat posed by uh, the Arian heresy back then in the day. Um, which really denied the divinity of Christ and really almost overcame Christianity in the 4th century. That's the mm -hmm. time that St. Cyril is from. Um, Cyril was caught up in controversy. We know that when we look at his life story. Uh, he was accused later of Arianism by St. Jerome, and he was uh, vindicated. He was let go of all those charges, uh, both by the men of his own time, because he was declared a doctor of the church. And being a doctor of the church is one of the highest honors you can get in the Catholic Church right. as a saint. And that happened in 1822. Um, St. Cyril was raised in Jerusalem. Uh, we know he was well-educated, especially in sacred scripture. He was, ador he was ordained a priest. He was not adored. <laughs> he was ordained a priest. I'm sure somebody adored him. <laughs> I do, <laughs> and so you. Um, he was ordained a priest by the Bishop of Jerusalem, and he was given a special role. He was asked to catechize uh, the faithful during Lent. You know, what a fitting time yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that we're in. Um, he was asked to catechize them by preparing for baptism, and during the Easter season, he was asked to uh, uh, newly baptize um, those into the faith. 
His catechesis remains to this day very valuable as examples of the ritual and the theology of the church in the mid-fourth century. Um, at this point, there are conflicting reports um, still to this day about the circumstances of his becoming bishop of Jerusalem. Um, we know that he was validly consecrated by bishops of the province. Um, since one of the accusers uh, was an Arian, um, it may have been expected that his cooperation would follow. Um, conflict soon rose between St. Cyril of Jerusalem and Acacius, um, who was bishop of the rival nearby diocese of Caesarea. Okay. Um, Caesarea being in, uh, yeah. in Israel. Um, Cyril was summoned to a council accused of uh, such things as insubordination, of selling church property to relieve the poor. Uh, probably, however, um, a theological difference was also involved. Um, we know that he was condemned. He was driven from Jerusalem. Um, again, he was later vindicated, not without uh, some help from a few people. Hmm. Um, half of his episcopate was spent in exile. Very interesting. Uh, his first experience was repeated twice. Uh, he finally returned to find Jerusalem torn with heresy. There was lots of schism, lots of strife. There was tons of crime. Um, even St. Gregory of Nyssa yeah. came in to help him, but then literally just took off because, you know, he took off in despair, couldn't believe what was going on. Both St. Gregory of Nyssa and uh, St. Cyril, they both went to the Second, e Second Ecumenical Council of Constantinople. Mm -hmm. um, where we get the amended form of the Nicene Creed. Right. And Cyril was the one who accepted the word consubstantial. And, uh, you know, right, for those right. listening, we know we that consubstantial is now a, a is part, part of our of Nicene the new, Creed. The new translation, and yeah. if you don't know what it means, it, that is of Christ and the Father. So it's like a little bit of a coming together. One in being. Yeah, yeah. one in being with the Father. Um, some said it was an act of repentance, but the bishops of the council praised him as a champion of orthodoxy against the Arians. Um, he died in the year 386. He is venerated as a saint by the Roman Catholic Church, not only the Roman Catholic Church, but the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Anglican Communion. Wow. Yeah, so in uh, the year 1883, as I said before, um, uh, it was declared doctor of the church by Pope Leo the uh, Eighth, uh -huh. and he is highly respected in the Palestinian Christian community. Excellent. So that's St. Cyril. And his feast day, I um, yeah, should you didn't point say out, yeah. is Monday, March the 18th. March 18th, feast day of St. Cyril of Jerusalem. There you go. If you're looking for a saint name, you confirmation kids, St. Cyril. It's a good confirmation name. St. Cyril of Jerusalem, Bishop of Jerusalem, feast day, March 18th. Thank you very much, Andrew. Andrew Santos, our saint expert. Hi, I'm Christian Matrenko, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. My name is Deacon Pedro. You can comment on anything you hear on this program by email, radio at saltandlighttv.org, or on Facebook. Just look for Salt Plus Light Radio. You can also write to me on Facebook. Just look for Deacon Pedro. And now... Media Ministry Minutes with Danny Torquia. Danny, welcome back to the program. Aren't you happy of all the, 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 the media attention that the church is getting right now? You know, yesterday on, uh, on the Lena Ruli show and the Catholic guy, they were talking about how it's already been more than, two, more than three weeks since, uh, since his Holy Father, the, yeah. Pope Benedict, mentioned his resignation, and it's, it's flown right by. It's been a great time for the church, Catholic Church. Okay, but you're, 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 I hope that you're listening, nothing against the Catholic Channel, but you're listening to like CNN and CBS and CBC, and well, you know, CTV. everywhere you turn, as you said, Pedro, everywhere you turn, you've got a, a wide assortment of, of, of people blogging, writing, uh, producing, producing videos, uh, whether it's secular or Catholic, uh, even on the app. Even the Vatican has its, its stuff very well put together. So I think it's a great time to, for all of us to soak in amazing information from the Church, but also you've got to navigate through some poor journalism or some negative communications, but all of the good stuff is there and the teaching moments are there for all of us. So is this a good example or a, a good lesson for those people who are skeptical of the secular media to, to, to say, look, if we're prepared and we have the right people that they can tap into for as guests or as commentators, that this is, this is what happens, that the church can actually get good, positive coverage in the secular media? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, we, we should rejoice, and we should be uh, have additional resolve 
to see that many Catholics among us have this charism or this natural inclination to be a bridge builder with media. So whether it's Pauline Media, the, you know, Daughters of St. Paul, or, or yeah. other uh, groups that, that really want to engage the world in the metropolises and the cities, they're doing that. And so we've got, we find ourselves with people like Father Thomas Rosica of Salt yeah. and Light, yeah, yeah. that's doing a great job, Sister Marianne Walsh of the USCCB, so everywhere you turn, you've got these people that are engaging, even Father Robert Barron, engaging NBC, CBC, uh, all of the different media in North America and beyond. And it's great. I mean, when you think of the millions and millions of people that are being exposed to Catholic thought uh, and, and joy, and sometimes remember that communications is done mainly in a nonverbal way. So sometimes we should a little bit forget all the words being exchanged, and look at the joy that it exudes yeah. is probably being radiated by our spokespersons. Interesting. And you, could, you could probably tell who's happy and joyful and confident, serene, and those who are kind of bitter and living a little bit in a darker place. Yeah. Now, uh, um, a lot of the questions that secular journalists have are not about the conclave and, you know, the details that they want to know about women's ordination or about sex abuse scandals. Do, do you do you think that even even despite those questions, it's still an opportunity um, in terms of how we handle those questions? Absolutely. I mean, when, when I do media training of CEOs or athletes, we always tell them, even if they want to talk about your grandfather's, what is your, gra- your grandfather's illness or something not, not related to your PR campaign uh-huh. or what your agenda is, eh, embrace it. And then, uh, you know, then you, you'll have a moment to bridge back to your key messages. And you know what? It sounds uh, contrived or a little maybe too marketing for some people, mm-hmm. but it's really what we do in normal conversation. You know, I, I have certain things I want to share with you. Right. And, and even if you talk about uh, my shoes not matching with my belt, that doesn't matter. I will I will respect you. But then we could talk maybe and about then, yeah. the fact that you're looking good, Pedro, today, or you're looking quite healthy. How's everything? Yeah, that's right. Did you get to watch Cardinal Ouellette's interview with Peter Mansbridge on CBC The National? I, I saw part two of it, yes. What did you think? Well, I, I, you know, he great. I think, I think, I, I was actually uh, marked by the the visual and the facial expression of Peter Mansbridge. If you look at that at the at the end of episode two, yes, uh, Peter was was so moved and grateful, and I actually missed the whole first part. But by the end of it, I realized, you know, if Peter Mansbridge is reacting uh, at, visually. To, the, to this interview this way, it yes. must have been moving. Yeah. And Mr. Mansbridge interviews heads of state and, and he, he does. Makers. I know. Yeah. So he, it, this is something. It must have been a momentous interview, and so I'm very pleased that uh, Cardinal Ouellette made himself available yet yeah, again. Yeah, absolutely. For for our American viewers, Peter Mansbridge is what would you say is the the American equivalent of Peter well, Mansbridge? Well, like Tom Brokaw. Tom Brokaw. Or, uh, yeah. Barbara Walters. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's big time. So that's that's great, great coverage for the church, um, and it's not going to stop now. It's going to continue. So so Danny, I'm I'm gonna, looking forward to your thoughts as the weeks come as to how we continue to get this coverage out. And you know, Pedro, one more thing. Is yeah? I think it's time for, for your, the uh, listeners of the Catholic Channel and, and Salt and Light Radio to really um, take a moment to compliment what they're reading and listening by looking at some Catholic media sources out there. So uh-huh. it is the time to look at what Catholic news sources are valid and good, and you'll, uh, I think everyone will be surprised that there's good quality content out there. Okay, so good. So especially for the our listeners on the Catholic Channel and on the Spirit Radio Network in uh, in uh, Nebraska and parts of the Midwest, and also online. Thank you, Danny Torquia. Thank you very much for your insights. Thank you, my pleasure. Daniel Torquia is a director of partnerships for Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation. Hi, this is Father Rob Gallia, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. Our website is saltandlighttv.org slash radio, and our blog is saltandlighttv.org slash blog. And here now is Sheridan with our diocesan update. Hi, Sheridan. Hello, my friends. Hello, Pedro. Hello. This week, I thought we'd find out what's happening up north. And by up north, I mean way, way up north. The great white north. Yes. We don't often hear from that corner of Canada. No. Yeah, so earlier this week, I called up Bishop Gary Gordon of the Diocese of Whitehorse in the Yukon. Bishop Gary Gordon, thanks for taking the time to speak with us. It's wonderful to be with you, Sheridan. 
For those of our listeners who don't know much about the Diocese of Whitehorse, can you paint us a picture of a typical day for you? Well, a typical day is up before the sun gets up, which is actually quite late in the wintertime, so uh, uh, people tend to sleep in here, but I'm usually in my office uh, by 8.30 in the morning uh, when I'm home, and a typical day is uh, usually catching up on the phone messages and the email, uh, which might take an hour or so uh, in the morning, uh, then making some calls uh, to different uh, pastors and pastoral administrators in the diocese, uh, touching base with them, um, always uh, in a process of writing something uh, mm-hmm. pastorally uh, for the folks in the diocese. And uh, then the day just sort of proceeds from there. Uh, I usually get home around 5 or 6 o'clock, uh, which is an absolute delight for my dog because then we go for a cross-country ski. <laughs> and uh, that's always kind of fun. And uh, I make myself some dinner and get the fire going in the wood stove to warm up the house and uh, usually settle into the evening of more emails and more phone calls, uh, working on the many uh, pastoral questions within the diocese. All right, so it sounds like a pretty typical day for a bishop. Um, yeah. What's your favorite aspect of being up north, ministering in God's country? Well, one of the real graces and, beauty and, and beauties is that it is beautiful, and there is real silence. And I'm told that beauty and silence creates good theology. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm quite delighted in the whole environment of the place, um, the other thing that is, is really quite a delight, uh, but it is also a challenge, is how small our Catholic communities are. Right. <clears throat> so it's something that people talk about, small, basic Christian communities, and they think it's just absolutely the best way to go in terms of church life, and it's got many, many blessings, and that's all I've got, is small Christian communities. So there's a real dynamic life when it is small, but it's challenging because you just don't have the capacity to do a lot of things and a lot of programming because the communities are so small. Right. Bishop Gordon, I recently watched a video that you produced inviting people to come up to the north and live in mission. Can you share some thoughts on that? Well, that's been one of my greatest challenges is providing pastoral presence in the missions of the 22 uh, parishes in the diocese as you know, we're, we're kind of short of clergy throughout the diocese right. and throughout Canada. So um, our people are very understanding. And so I've been working at something called the Holy Family Apostolate. Right. And it's basically just families thinking about and discerning whether they would take on one of the missions and uh, be the pastoral presence as a family in a mission. And we also have some lay single people in mission and we do have some priests, but that's, um, that's one of the big challenges, uh, but it's also one of the beauties. Right. In terms of upcoming events, are there any special occasions? What's new in the Diocese of Whitehorse? Well, let's see what's new. Well, we got our Chrism Mass coming up, and of course that's always a three-day event because right. people take a whole day to get here, and then we celebrate and have dinner together as a pastoral staff. Um, and then we uh, people go home. So it's, that's sort of a big event because we don't come together like every month for meetings. Yes. So that's kind of a, a major thing in the spring. Uh, we've got a big thing planned for the Year of Faith. Uh, we have uh, Dr. David Wells, a theologian out of the Diocese of, um, oh, it's in Wales, England, and he's quite a good speaker on, you know, authenticity right. as a Catholic and uh, the challenge of being authentically Catholic in our present times. And so he's going to be doing a a two-day event for all of our school staffs and all of our pastoral staff at the end of April. Sounds great. Thank you so much for your time, Your Excellency. You're welcome, Sheridan. God bless you. So that was Bishop Gary Gordon of Whitehorse, Yukon. Thank you very much, Sheridan. I, I, I love Bishop Gary. He's a great great friend, and I love Whitehorse. It's a great place to go. Um, don't go anywhere, because coming up in our second half hour, Communicating the Vatican. 
and a featured chat with our featured artist of the week, Danielle Rose on the culture of life. So don't go anywhere. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour, Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. When Pope Benedict announced his resignation, the Vatican Press Office probably had to make a few phone calls. And one of those calls was to Father Thomas Rosica, CEO of Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation in Canada. Next thing you know, Father Rosica is helping as the English language assistant to the Vatican Press Secretary. Needless to say, He's been very busy these last two weeks. And to find out how busy, we spoke to Father Tom Rosica earlier this week. Welcome, Father Tom, to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you. So good to be with you. So I know you're very, very, very busy, probably very <laughs> tired. Can you, can you explain for our listeners exactly what your duties are as English language assistant to the press secretary? As soon as the Pope submitted his resignation and the news went around the world, Father Lombardi contacted me about two days later mm -hmm. and uh, said, come right away. And I said, what do you mean? He says, like tomorrow or the next day. So I arrived the week after, about the 18th of February, and Sebastian Gomes from our Salt and Light staff is with me. Right. I wasn't quite sure what my role would be, and suddenly I realized the day I got here that I'm basically with Father Lombardi, and I'm handling much of the English-speaking world, mm -hmm. um, the media. There's now over 5,000 journalists here. Right. So Father I Lombardi, sorry, Father Lombardi is the press secretary? Father Lombardi is the director of the Holy See Press Office, okay. and he's also the director of Vatican Radio. Okay. Now, suddenly, the Vatican Press Office has taken on a huge... Um, huge role in this right. whole thing because we're dealing with all of the journalists of the world. So, and you're dealing specifically with the English-speaking journalists? I have English-speaking journalists, although there are many French journalists that are also relating to me. And one of the things I do every day is to take part in the press conference in the Vatican right. Press Center at one o'clock, so and I think you've seen those images. Yes, so that's every day. Where Every, that's every day, six days a week, mm -hmm. and they've turned out to be very big moments. There's about 200 people in the John Paul II room, that's all the formally accredited journalists. Right. And there's another center over in the audience hall where there may be five or 600 working, and they're from all over the world. Uh -huh. I, I think I've given 125 interviews since wow. I've been here. Okay, so you, sorry, you said there were 5,000 accredited journalists. That's not just English, is it? Or 5,000 from the entire world. From the entire world. And how and many of those 24 are... 24 languages are represented in that group. Okay. And about 600 entities or outlets. So when you talk about, you know, the different outlets, radio, yes. television, blogs, and all that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. um, there's, it's quite a big group that's here, and it is the whole world. There's a tremendous amount of interest in this. There is. Now, the Vatican has asked me to do some of the big interviews... Okay. So I've had to deal with things like NBC and ABC and CBS in the United States, CNN, right. working closely with them, and then with Australian, British television, Irish television, and I've done interviews in different languages, too, so, so I kind of lost count after 120. I know, I know. So, so you said that the m one of your main duties is the press conference or the press briefing that's every day right. um, to inform the journalists sort of what's been happening that day. I know... Uh, is that basically the, I mean, it's a daily briefing. Well, last week, the first week, it was to inform journalists of all of the events surrounding Benedict's last days, right. his departure to Castel Gandolfo, and that majestic flight that we saw, a very moving yes, experience. Yes, it was, it was moving. And uh, we had a huge amount of feedback from around the world to that. It stopped, uh, many people stopped doing what they were doing that day. In mm -hmm. the streets of Rome, people on the street waving at the helicopter and crying, and mm -hmm. it was a very, very moving departure. Then we moved into the second phase of the congregation meetings that are taking place. And, of course, there's a whole other dynamic there. Um, the cardinals are meeting every day, and they have not yet established the date of the conclave. No. I'm speaking to you now on Wednesday night. Yes. That date could be announced later this week. Mm -hmm. um, but we can give summaries of what goes on. It's a very serious process of what's going on inside those rooms. Everyone is bound by secrecy. But we're, Cardinal Sodano allows us to give particular information, for example, how many cardinals are present, how many are electors. What topics uh, they... The, the ones that took the oath, and then the big themes. And so today I announced okay. at the press conference the big themes 
around which the cardinal spoke, but we can't go into any detail but about that. But the press is not allowed inside the hall for the, for the congregation Absolutely no not. No, so there's it's nobody just in the there. the cardinals and very designated people that they're all sworn by oath over what they can say and, and to maintain the secrecy. And the purpose of that is, this is not the same as a synod where we can give out information or some other ecclesial event, but this is all in view of the conclave. So today, for right. example, the qualities of the pope what kind of qualities are we looking for? We uh-huh. Basically, they uh, traced a profile of what this person can be. So such things are very delicate discussions. Yeah. Now, th- this, this role is not a new role for you because, and you mentioned the synod during the, the, the previous synod, actually twice, you were, w- is it, was it the simil- same role in terms of being the English no, language no, assistant? No, no, no. The, the synod, for example, for the synods, I was at the Synod on the Word of God in 2008, and then the Synod on the New Evangelization. Yeah. I was present in the Synod Hall for everything, and basically dealt with the English language press every day to give a briefing on what went on. Yes. But here, I'm dealing with a huge amount of media, and assisting Father Lombardi directly in managing the situation. So is it different, it, sorry, is it different because the, the media attention is different? Huge media attention. But also, I'm in a situation where I'm actually giving the interviews okay. to the world media that's here. Okay, so you are. Now, uh, if I've ever learned anything from you, Father Tom, is that it is so important to invite the secular media, to bring them in, to, to tell them to come and see. That's right. And I think you're very good at that, and I, we've, we've been seeing it in the last weeks with how you, you've been dealing. How, how important, why is that important, th- th- that the church communicates, effect, communicates church to the secular media? I'm seeing all of this as an opportunity for the new evangelization. Mm. I spent hours with the heads of the big media outlets, CBS, NBC, ABC, CNN, ABC from Australia, in terms of framing the story, providing the background. We're not just giving interviews, mm-hmm. but we spend hours in preparing the people. What is the Sistine Chapel? Right. What is this particular thing? Why this particular prayer? And I must say there's tremendous interest. And when CNN asked me this past week, to write the reflection for their website, which I circulated to you folks this morning. Yes. It was a tremendous privilege to do that, because CNN is CNN. Yes, yes. To work with some of the big media figures in the background to help them prepare, because I really believe that most of them want to do a good job. Mm -hmm. They want to be faithful to the story. And some of them, they've come to Mass with me. I have Mass every morning. I celebrate Mass every morning with Sebastian. And some have come over with me to St. Peter's Basilica early in the morning just to be with us at Mass. So the journalists. Others have asked me what time I celebrate Mass in the evening. Can they join us? And it's quite amazing. So you haven't, it it is not your experience that you're getting negative reactions from the media, that they're trying to to show the church in a a negative way. The the most problematic for me has been the Italian media, and they've caused a number of difficulties among themselves, some most unprofessional, Mm -hmm. thriving on sensationalism and leaks and all kinds of other things, others really trying to do a good job. But the taxing aspect has been some of the Italian media who like to pit people against one another, or they have an ability for invention. Yes. And that's been very frustrating. Yes. Now, I, I'm, I'm not going to ask you to, to, to prophesy, but maybe if you can tell us a little bit about what's to expect. Uh, you, you suspect that the conclave, by the time this program airs, we will know when the conclave will begin. This program is airing on Saturday on the weekend. evening. Yeah, yes. And I would hope and presume that the conclave date would have been announced sometime next week. Mm-hmm and that the Cardinals uh, will be going to the Sistine Chapel just after they listen to this in and a matter of days. And are we to once, because the conclave is even more secret than these congregations, will there still be daily briefings during the we conclave? We will have daily briefings. Um, there'll be information given to us, not necessarily about what happens inside, right. but what's going on around and how many people are in Rome and other things like that. Mm-hmm. Now, m- just in closing, maybe can you tell us, w- I know there was a beautiful prayer service this evening. It was in the morning for us. Uh, in Rome. What is the mood in Rome? Are a lot of people arriving, anticipating the conclave? Uh, is there excitement on the streets? Is there, what's the mood? There's a sense of great expectation. One of the moods that's not here is the mood of mourning or a funeral. Mm, right. Uh, these events usually take place in the context of a funeral and the post-funeral and the nine days of the morning masses or the novendiale. Mm-hmm. That's not here this time. In fact, somebody showed pictures this morning on an Italian newspaper of Pope Benedict walking in his garden with his secretary. Right. Uh, somebody got some pictures taken of how they did, God only knows. And so there's not that. And there's, there's a tremendous sense of excitement, expectation, and also 
a sense of um, there's a desire for something new. Mm -hmm. uh, people don't know what it is, but there's really an expectation for something new. And um, it's obvious among the cardinals that have spoken. It's obvious among the people. And it's a real time for us this Lent to pray, yes. to reflect, to purify, and to be ready for something new that will be with us at yeah, Easter. I was going to say to you that it's not a coincidence that this is happening during Lent as we prepare for something new. Yeah, very good. Thank you, Father Tom, for, for taking the time to speak to us today. Uh, and and um, I'm, we're praying for you and watching you closely. Thank you, and God bless you all. Father Thomas Rosica is a Basilian priest. He is the CEO of Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation and right now acting as the English language assistant to the Vatican Press Secretary. We spoke to him in Rome earlier this week. You can stay updated with everything that's happening in Rome on our website, saltandlighttv.org. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Danielle Rose, with A Mother's Communion from her new album, Culture of Life. Unexpected invitation This new life that I've received I'm afraid but I am willing You have just changed everything You are silent, you are hidden But look deep within and see Body, blood and soul are present Living fully within me I am not worthy to receive this life But only say the word I shall be
That was Danielle Rose with A Mother's Communion from her new album, Culture of Life. After four albums, Danielle Rose finally released her new pro-life album entitled Culture of Life. It's a musical reflection on the interrelated components of society that are necessary to build an authentic culture of life. And with this album, Danielle is using her voice to minister on behalf of the children of China Little Flower Orphanage to raise spiritual and financial support so that babies' lives can be saved and souls brought to Christ. And Danielle Rose joins us, joins us now on the phone. Danielle, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you, Pedro. So you were in China, and I know that because I see yes. all the pictures of you on the Great Wall. W- tell us a bit about yes. that trip. Well, I met a couple missionaries from China uh, about three years ago, and I began to learn about the whole situation in China with, uh, with the persecution of Christians and also the reality of the implications of the one-child policy in people's daily lives. Yeah. And as I learned about this, it affected me very deeply, and I felt called to respond to it. And God showed me that I could use my voice to be able to help speak on behalf of those who couldn't speak for themselves. And so I got in, uh, God led me into a relationship with a particular orphanage there called China Little Flower. That's just a beautiful ministry that helps basically save babies one at a time that would otherwise not be able to live as oh. a result of the whole situation in China. Okay, so wait, so back up. So the Little Flower as in St. Therese? Yes, as in St. Therese who wanted to be a missionary to China. She did? Yeah. I, I didn't know that about her. Okay, cool. So, and, and so who runs the orphanage? It's run by an American family. They have six kids of their own. But when they saw the whole situation with the orphans in China, they felt called to start this whole ministry. And so they completely rely on God's providence in the midst of a very difficult situation there, um, both spiritually and materially, because of the whole government and the one-child policy and the communism and all these different things. Okay, so, so the reason why they are saving babies is because of the one-child policy. Are these people who are having more than one children and giving them up? Or how does that work? What, what do you mean? For some, for some of the children, yes. In China, each family is only permitted to have one child. And after that, children are killed through forced abortion. Uh-huh. And at this time, there have been over 400 million babies killed through forced abortion as a result of the one-child policy, which is more than the whole United States. Like, the United States yes. is 300 million. Yeah. Um, so it's something it's something very uh, overwhelming. Like, the average woman in China, by the time she's 30, has an average of four or five forced abortions. Okay, so how can a foreign family in China have an orphanage? Like, isn't the whole point that they don't want to have so many kids, baby, extra Um, population? So is that, are they under the table or is this, how is it sanctioned? They, it is sanctioned, but it is not sanctioned in terms of the faith content, because if the government knew that it was being done because of God and as a sense of missionary work, then they would get shut down. So it has to be done very, very carefully. Okay. Um, very carefully. Now, in terms of them caring for the children, that's open. Yeah. But it's a very delicate situation. One of the other things that I learned about China is that, and this is, again, something that's just very... Um, confidential i don't like post these kind of things like on my on my website i don't post them on facebook because it could jeopardize people's safety yeah yeah. but um but in china one third of the state-run orphanages have a hundred percent mortality rate for the babies that come in and so this particular orphanage china little flower has formed a very delicate relationship with one of the orphanages that are in this category, and basically they entrust children one at a time over to China Little Flower, and China Little Flower assumes responsibility for their care. Uh-huh. Most of the babies have special needs, and um, and when they take these children, literally they're saying, we will take care of them, we'll provide for everything, don't worry about it, we'll just take them, and then they're just trusting in God to provide. So at any given time they have, you know, it could be a couple hundred babies that are infants with special needs, and then also about 50 children that are older that are in foster group homes okay. and um and so they're really they're kind of silent in terms of being able to tell people what their needs really are uh-huh. um but that's what i'm trying to help them do so okay so sorry so china little flower orphanage has that many children or you you talk about yes yes really yes. so it's huge mm-hmm. it's big it's huge and it's you a were tremendous undertaking and you were there uh, volunteering helping out for a while 
I learned about the orphanage before I even went there, mm-hmm. and I already knew I felt called to try to help help raise awareness and support for them before I even went there. But now I've been over there a few different times uh-huh. and hope to go back again maybe sometime the end of this year, if God permit. Really? So then this new album, how much of it is, is based on your experiences there in terms of culture of life? I would say uh, a majority of it, because in a sense, for me, looking at China and, and coming to fall in love with the people there and also recognize the, the culture of death that's at work has been like a mirror to really look at my own life and our own culture here in the U.S. Uh-huh. to be able to really examine, you know, what, what's going on, what do we need to do? And I felt like God invited me to do this pro-life album to try to say, hey, you guys, like if we're going to pray for an end to one-child policy and end to abortion in the world, what does that take? You know, what's necessary for that to really happen? And it's not this isolated issue. It's connected with so many different things. It's connected to chastity. It's connected to to end-of-life care. It's connected to all the adoption. All these things are part of that prayer of a true culture of life and really of an end to abortion. Right. So, um, so musically, it's trying to you know present all of those things together in a coherent sort of presentation musically. Uh-huh. Now, are all the songs new, or were some of the songs songs that you had from before that you were just saving? Um, there is one song that I knew I wanted that was uh, released before, but all the, they're all new in the sense of being released on an album. Uh-huh, okay. Now, your sister sings with you on three of the tracks, is that correct? Yes, Aubrey sings on three of the tracks, and uh-huh. she's so awesome. It's like my favorite in the world to sing with her. She sings on the song called You Matter, which is all about how each soul is unrepeatable in eternity. Yeah. She sings with me on a song called, um, oh... Not a Burden, which is about how every life is worth having sacrifices made for that life yeah. at no matter what point in their life. And then there's a happy little silly song that's actually a hidden track on the album. It's called I Love Lifeland, and it's yeah. just happy about how life is a beautiful, just happy gift. So we wrote that one together. That's fun. So had you, had you sung or written songs with your sister before? I've sung before, but never written something with her before. It was super fun. It was fun. <laughs> it sounds a lot of fun. It sounds like you guys are very, very close. Yes, we are. We're very close. In fact, she's already with me, staying with me for a few weeks, having special sister time before I'm getting married in one month from oh, today. That's, that's so, you know what? I can hear the, the joy in your voice when you talk about your sister. Um, it's like yeah. this, this, this really personal uh, thing about you that, that you're letting us in. I didn't know this about you. This is great. Um, so you're getting married. Yes, Praise God, it's been a, mus- a mysterious and beautiful process, and God has finally revealed His will for my vocation definitively. <laughs> Absolutely, and you really dis- discerned all, all, every single vocation possible, didn't you? Yes, and I'm very grateful my discernment in the convent helped prepare me uh-huh. for, my voca- for the vocation of marriage that God has prepared for me for all eternity. So I'm very grateful for that time of formation and grateful that it helped led me, lead me to the yes that He has in mind for my soul. Absolutely, and you know what, marriage is great i've been married for 17 years and i can't only good things it's it's a great vocation so uh i'm I'm really happy for you and for anyone who is preparing to get married because it's it's a wonderful beautiful 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 vocation um it is and it's a call from god yeah well yeah absolutely a call to holiness so you are responsible for your husband going to heaven isn't that beautiful it's so beautiful. It's amazing. Yes, and he's responsible for you going to heaven, so that's cool. Um, so you just finished this album. It literally just is l- just out, what, a month? Um, just out. It was released on January 22nd, which is the 40th anniversary of, of Roe v. Wade. Wade in the U.S. when we, when abortion was legalized. So this uh, the album is trying to be a response to build... God's life and bring the culture of life in the midst of, to transform a culture of death into a culture right, of Right, no, and I think it does that. And again, it's, it's like everything that you've done in the past is, is, is excellent. It's, it's a really good album. Um, I know you're getting married, and so that's probably the biggest, newest thing in your life, but do you have any other things coming up? Uh, any new albums in the works? Anything that we need no, to... No, at this point, at this point, I am just super excited to be able to begin sharing this album with people, and I'm very excited for praying that this music will help bring healing to a lot of people, bring hope 
and bring conversion as well. Absolutely. So I'm very excited about this. Absolutely. And we're very excited too. So it's a privilege to, to help you promote it. And, and hopefully our uh, listeners will check, uh, check you out on your website and, and, and buy the album, download it. It's not expensive and it's a good cause. Thank you, Danielle. It's been great talking to you again. Congratulations for your you. m on your marriage. And, uh, and uh, I know we'll stay in touch. So uh, God bless. Thank you, and God bless you too, Pedro. Have a Thank beautiful you. day. That was our featured artist of the week, Danielle Rose. You can learn more about Danielle at her website, daniellerose.com. You can also learn about the China Little Flower Orphanage at chinalittleflower.org. Here now is Danielle with Glorious Wounds from her new album, Culture of Life. He conquered death when he rose from the grave. But why do his wounds from the cross still Where he has been He passed through the doors That were locked within me Granting forgiveness And offering peace Others had told me I doubted their story But now I believe The pain is one's glory listening to Danielle Rose with Glorious Wounds from her new album, Culture of Life. And that will take us to the end of the program. Remember that you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs on our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And that's also where you can now listen to uninterrupted music all day long. Check it out, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. We are part of Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation. You can learn all about us at saltandlighttv.org write to us and send us your thoughts especially remember we want to hear from our new listeners in nebraska iowa and south dakota you can contact us via email or through facebook look for us on facebook salt plus light radio and click like if you like what we do tell us what you think about the fact that italy has so many cardinal electors curious to know your thoughts if we get enough we might even read them here on the air Thank you for your generosity, for your prayers. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour.